This is Psalms to God, Season 2, Episode 7. Let's have a feast. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Genesis chapter 26, verse 30, New King James Version. Hey guys, welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Ree, and today we're talking about food, because <laughs> I love food. Um, no, seriously, we're talking about feasts, which to me means food, um, but I did look up the definition of the word feast just to make sure I wasn't just, you know, being a little biased in my definition of it, and uh, the definition, according to Merriam-Webster, is an elaborate and unusually abundant meal often accompanied by entertainment or ceremony, um, or a periodic religious observance commemorating an event or honoring a deity, person, or thing. If you look at the Bible's definition of a feast, I think it kind of uses aspects of both of these things. Of course, it is a religious observance, and um, God does have them celebrate these things to commemorate events and to commemorate him and honor him. Um, but there's also a lot of, you know, pomp and circumstance, I guess, surrounding it. And there is food. There's always food. So I wanted to talk about these things that Israel was given to do, because when I first started researching them and studying them, I was mystified by how well they tie into God saving them from Egypt along with how well they tie into prophecy about the Messiah and us as a whole being saved from sin. And it's really cool because it's when you think about it, it's really hard to create something that looks backwards and forward at the same time. Like it, these feasts are not just symbolic for the Israelites. They're symbolic for anybody who is worshiping God. And I think that gets lost in translation a lot of times. People are just like, oh, yeah, the feast, that was the old covenant. That's part of Israel. We don't need to know anything about that. But it's really profound, um, their impact and their meaning and how they relate to us today. So I wanted to talk about those. And, of course, like I said, I love food. So I really just wanted to talk about food for an episode again. But in, in the Old Testament, when you look at the formation of Israel, Um, their origin story, their beginnings are a little rocky. I mean, a lot of countries have suspect origin stories, uh, particularly this one that I'm living in. But Israel started in a whole nother country, basically. So you had Jacob, who was the progenitor of the 12 tribes. And, you know, he was kind of a bit of a nomad. He came back into this land that had been promised to Abraham And while he's there, his sons basically stage a coup against their own brother 
and have him sold into slavery. So he ends up in Egypt. You know, a lot of things happen. He rises to power and suddenly there's this famine and all of his siblings have to flee the land that they've been promised and come to Egypt to find food. And so basically the entire Israelite population ends up in Egypt instead of in the land that God has promised them. And while they're there, they end up becoming basically slaves. They become oppressed and they're basically stuck there. They can't leave of their own free will. Um, And the Egyptians are over them, which they're still sort of a nation because they're a people, but they're not really a nation because they don't have any sovereignty or any power or any land or anything like that. And then, of course, you know the story of the Exodus. God brings them out of that and brings them into the wilderness. You know, they do their thing and end up stuck in the wilderness for like 40 years before they end up in the promised land. And then you have this nation of Israel um, that we associate with the Old Testament. It's interesting because most of the feasts are given to them during this period that they're traveling from Egypt and into the promised land. And every single feast ties into that journey. But when you stop and really think about it, each of those feasts also have some sort of prophetic significance to the coming Messiah and to our general salvation from sin, which is really, really cool. So I want to list out the feasts that are mentioned and then talk about each one. I don't know if we're going to get to all of them in this episode because there are a lot and there's a good bit to say about each one. So we'll see how far we get. And then if we don't get through them all, we'll just make a part two and continue with them next week. So the initial feasts that are given, there are seven and they all relate to this journey, this exodus that God has for his people out of sin both the historical exodus from Egypt and our spiritual exodus out of sin. But throughout this um, period, the Israelites also acquire two more feasts that they're known for today um, that have to do with events that just occurred outside of this exodus that occurred um, you know, post-exodus, post the time that they became a, a nation of their own. But they did come out of other exiles. So they still have this symbolic representation of coming out of sin. And so the feasts, the first seven are Passover, which I'm sure you knew of. Um, The Feast of Weeks, which is also known as Pentecost. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of the First Fruits. Then they also have Purim. And Hanukkah. Some of these I'm sure you've heard of. You may or may not be familiar with their origin and, and what, you know, how they came about, but don't worry. After these episodes, you're going to know. So I want to start with Passover. I know it's the most famous and the one that people are probably the most familiar with, but it is the first feast that they actually celebrate and it's the first one that happens chronologically in the Israelite calendar um, and arguably one of the most important in terms of its symbolism, in terms of how it came about and um, what it represents. So the Passover 
Um, the first Passover is celebrated in Exodus chapter 12. And um, a little bit more about it is given in Leviticus chapter 23. And it's really interesting because unlike the pagan holidays that Christianity has taken up, there is so much detail about these feasts. So God tells them that the Passover is supposed to be celebrated on the 14th day of the first month of the year. And the first month of the year for them was something called Nisan, which occurs roughly in like March or April of our calendar year. And that's because we go by the Gregorian calendar. Um, I think that's what it's called. Essentially, in the West, we go off of a sun-based calendar and uh, the the Israelites were going off of a lunar-based calendar. And a lot of countries in the Middle East still use a lunar-based calendar. So that's why they don't line up exactly and why it's hard to say that it's this exact month or this exact date because our months are determined by the sun and their months are determined by the phases of the moon. But either way... Um, the reason this was considered the first month is because this is the month that they left Egypt. It's the first month that they were a nation of their own accord, which is, it makes sense. It's cool. It's like their new year. But the 14th day of this first month is when God instructed them to keep the Passover. And if you remember the story of the Exodus, then you know that the Passover, it literally is from passed over. So the final plague that befell Egypt was the death of the firstborns. And um, God instructed the Israelites to kill a lamb that was without blemish and put the lamb's blood above the doorpost as a sign of their faith and as a sign of their allegiance with the God of Abraham. And when the angel of death came through and killed the firstborns, it skipped over the houses that had this blood on the on the doorposts, or shall I say, it passed over them. And so none of the Israelites died. And after that, they were sort of set free. You know, the Pharaoh changed his mind a couple of times and he did pursue after them. But essentially, that's what triggered the ability for them to leave Egypt. And so when you look at the first celebration, um, what was told to them was that on the 10th day, they were supposed to pick out the lamb. And it had to be a lamb that was without blemish, that was male, and that was um, only a year old, relatively young. And on the 14th day, they were to kill the lamb, they were to cover the doorposts in the blood, and then they were to roast the lamb in fire and eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. They were supposed to eat everything. Nothing was supposed to be left until the next day. And if they did have leftovers, the leftovers were supposed to be burned with fire. Um, And of course, there was a note that they were eating this with haste because they were to be ready to leave at the, the calling of, you know, God releasing them from Egypt. And so, you know, obviously we see how it's connected to their time in Egypt but it's heavily connected to Christ because Christ is our Passover lamb. He was um, crucified during the Passover. He was the unblemished lamb. Um, he Obviously, he was male. He was more than a year old and his ministry had been going for more than a year, but 
he was still a very young person by any society standards. He was in his early 30s. Uh, he might as well have been considered a child. Um, we see other versions, other people in the Bible being referred to as a youth and they're like 40. So he was basically a very young um, man without blemish and he took the place of the lamb and we are covered in his blood it always talks about you know we're covered by the blood of christ just like they covered the doorpost in the lamb's blood we are covered in the blood of the messiah and that is why at the end when death comes to claim those who have been sinful it will pass over us because we have been cleansed by the blood of the lamb and so I think that's, it's such a beautiful thing. It saddens me that people favor Easter, the pagan holiday, and don't really understand this beauty of the Passover and what it means. Um, and so, you know, I talked about the Passover some in an episode last season. Um, if you want more detail, I really encourage you to go back and look at that. And I'll probably put a couple of extra details in the show notes for those who want to read more um, in-depth things on it or who want to go and start to study that a little bit more. But that's definitely the um, significance of that particular feast. Again, you see that they were commanded to roast the fire, (laughs) roast the fire, roast the lamb in the fire. Um, That was part of the sacrifice, sacrifice and eating meat went together so the whole thing about sacrificing you're basically cooking the meat and then eating it that's you're putting it on fire and then you're eating it again like i said it's like a cookout or a barbecue i think this is why we secretly love cookouts and barbecues because this is what this is part of our worship of god which we don't think about that when we have these types of events but that's pretty much what their worship would have looked like back then and so um you know, that's definitely something to think about. If you are curious, um, in the New Testament, if you read um, Matthew 26 or Mark starting in uh, chapter 14, Luke 22, or John starting in chapter 13, these are the places in the New Testament where the Gospels start to record Jesus's last day on earth right before he gets crucified. And you'll notice that they all mention the Passover because that is the time that he was being crucified because it goes back to this feast and it goes back to Exodus. It goes back to all of the symbolism about being saved by the blood of the unblemished lamb. So that's that. Right after Passover, a whole nother feast kicked off. So Passover is just the tip of the iceberg. It's one day where they're killing this lamb and having this feast to start off their journey from sin so to speak but right after that they have the feast of unleavened bread and that feast starts the night after passover and lasts seven days so for seven days they were supposed to eat only unleavened bread and on that first day it was considered a holy day so it was just like a sabbath and they referred to it as a sabbath No work was supposed to be done on that day, and they were supposed to hold a holy convocation. And a convocation is when people come together. So basically, there was supposed to be some sort of ceremony, some sort of um, celebration um, or worship service or something that brought all of God's people together before him. 
And then for each of those seven days, they were supposed to do an offering to God. Remember what I said a few minutes ago, offerings, like the burnt offerings were literally cooking food. So that means that they were having some sort of food or feast every day for seven days. And then on that final day, that seventh day, again, they were supposed to have another holy convocation, another gathering of the people. And it was again considered a Sabbath and there was not supposed to be any work done during that day. And um, the tricky part of this whole feast was that no leaven was supposed to be in the house or near them. And so if you look at modern um, Jews and you look at how they celebrate Passover, um, which is interesting because I think they kind of refer to the whole thing as Passover. I'm not even sure if they're consistent at keeping the whole seven days. I'm sorry. I'm I probably should have looked that up before I started recording the episode, but um, I have noticed that when you look at like kosher labeling and if you look up things being kosher, they have a whole different category of things that are kosher for Passover. And it has to do with this this instance of leaven and leavening. Um, throughout the Bible, you'll see this comparison or symbolism of leaven and evil. So leaven represents evil or sin um, and in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 it says know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump meaning that if there's just a tiny bit of leaven then the whole lump is leavened so if there's just a tiny bit of sin you know the whole thing is blemished so during this time they weren't supposed to have any of this stuff with them and it represents the fact that they basically were picking up their stuff and fleeing Egypt um, and that's basically how we are supposed to be about our life before God so Egypt represents sin it, re- it represents the world it represents our sinful nature and the Passover represents basically like cutting ties with that you're cleansing yourself in the blood of the Passover lamb you're putting all of that behind you and you're ready to flee at a moment's notice you are ready to pack up your bags and follow the Lord. And so this feast that comes right after it, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, basically represents that you just you just left. You didn't have time to worry about making nice, pretty cakes and bread that rose. You didn't have time to gather all of those ingredients and stuff like that. You just took what you had, made it work, and left. Um, and I think that that's really the heart of the symbolism that is there and so this is um obviously the physical part of it being when they fled from egypt they fled from egypt during the feast of unleavened bread um and this is the time that they were fleeing from the the egyptian army and this probably would have been around the time of the red sea parting i'm not positive uh don't quote me on that part because i'm not sure how long it took them to get to the red sea but In general, that's what the physical connection to the past was. But in terms of our spiritual um, connection and in terms of how it relates to the Messiah, like I said, this is about leaving behind all of that sin, taking out all of the leaven in your life or the sin in your life and putting it behind you. And once you have been cleansed with the blood of the lamb, once you are... um, you know, surrendering to God, 
this concept of not having leaven in your house or near you is again severing ties with sin you don't allow sin in your house as for me and my house we will serve the lord you're not associating with it all of those things go away you you're not making excuses for it you're not you know dwelling in these fleshly desires you've put them behind you okay so after that well actually during that there was another feast yes there was a feast during the week of unleavened bread and that feast was called first fruits or the festival of first fruits and it was to occur on the 17th day of that first month so if you're counting your days the 14th day was the fat was passover the 15th day started the feast of unleavened bread and the 17th day started the festival of first fruits and this festival was basically a way of them giving back to god the first it they kind of owed god the first right because while they were in egypt god protected their firstborns during the last plague and now they're giving the first of their offering the first of their crops to god and um of course they didn't have to celebrate this in while they were in the wilderness the first time they were supposed to celebrate this was once they crossed over into the promised land and so what it would represent is god fulfilling his promise to them that he would give them a land of their own it also represented their trust in him that you know they trusted more uh, more harvest was to come so that they didn't mind giving up this harvest you have to remember unlike today where we have freezers and refrigerators and grocery stores um and like planes that deliver food all over the world they would have gone you know a whole year um harvesting things and all of this stuff was depleting in the winter and now you have your first sign of the new crop and you're giving that away you're gonna hold out another week or so till you get some more crops um, before you're going to dive in and so that was a very powerful statement and a very um powerful way of signifying their trust in god and of course that's what it represented in the past um, they, along with this harvest offering, they were also supposed to offer um, a male lamb, a drink offering, and a grain offering. And so, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Where that comes into with us and how we can relate to that in our modern uh, Christian point of view is that if you remember i told you this happened on the 17th day right three days after passover anything ringing bells three days later christ rose from the grave christ was that first fruit the first fruit that came back to life that conquered death and that did not stay dead so um he was that first offering that first fruit for god's kingdom that saw death and came back um and so we will follow in his footsteps we are the rest of the harvest there are other verses in the bible that talks about the angels harvesting um it's it's a parable where christ talks about the the wheat and the tares and the tares are growing up in the wheat basically weeds growing in the wheat and he leaves them until the harvest and he says that the angels will harvest it and that the wheat is his you know his people and the tares are those who do not believe those who go with satan the wicked and they will be cast out and they will be cast into the fire so we are a harvest and he was the first fruit of that harvest and so that's just really powerful how all of these 
um, feasts comes together to show that connection to God saving them from Egypt, as well as showing God saving us from our sin as a whole large scale, um, predicting the sacrifices that Christ would make. It's just beautiful to study. Um, I'm going to stop with this feast because we're about 25 minutes in and um, I don't want this episode to get outrageously long. Um, I think based on how this episode has gone, this will be a three-part series because we still have four more of the seven feasts plus the two extra feasts that came about later. So I'm thinking the next episode we'll do another three and then in the final episode we'll do the final three. So stay tuned and we will go through all of these feasts and all of these celebrations that um, God gave us to celebrate and to join together that we just really don't talk about. So I will see you guys next time. Don't forget to tune into the show notes. Um, Tune in. visit the website to see the show notes that probably makes a little bit more sense Um, i'll put a little bit of extra information along with the verses where you can read up about these feasts yourself and um, i will see you guys next week www.psalmstogod.com bye